Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for these who have gathered in your house this morning. I thank you for their commitment to you. And I pray that you would strengthen their resolve to be good soldiers of yours. Father, I ask that you would speak to us, that you would challenge us, that you would prick these conscience of ours and draw us into a deeper commitment and relationship to you. I pray, Lord, that as my eyes move upon the page, that you would guide my mouth as I speak, that truth may so encourage and so convict and so draw us closer to you. Fill me, Lord, and use me. I pray for your hand of favor and blessing as only you can give. May you honor the preaching of your word, and may it not return void as you promise in your word. We pray this all in Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. Well, it's Memorial Day weekend. Monday is a national holiday. This weekend will be celebrated with parades and backyard barbecues, the visiting of cemeteries, decorating graves of fallen soldiers. It's a day to honor men and women who've served in our military. It's a day to remember soldiers who gave their lives. A soldier is defined as one engaged in military service, an enlisted man or woman, a skilled warrior. These are individuals who've shown discipline, courage, loyalty, determination, and the determination to never leave a man behind. In Scripture, as we read, every true child of God is called a soldier. So if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you are called a soldier. Philippians chapter 2, Philemon 2, brothers in Christ are called fellow soldiers. Paul exhorts young Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2, suffer hardship with me as a good soldier, Christ Jesus. No soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life so that he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. So if you claim to know Jesus Christ as your Savior, the question is, what kind of soldier are you? What kind of soldier am I? Are you a good soldier? Are you pleasing the one, God Almighty, your Father, who enlisted you into his army? And what does it take to be a good soldier? We will find those questions and the answers to them in Matthew chapter 10. And I invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 10, starting in verse 24. As we continue in the series, Jesus said what? And we see some more difficult things that the Lord says as he lays it on the line. Matthew chapter 10, read along as I read, starting in verse 24. He says very clearly, a disciple is not above his teacher, nor a slave above his master. It is enough for the disciple that he becomes like his teacher and the slave like his master. If they've called the head of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign the members of his household? Therefore, do not fear them. For there is nothing concealed that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be made known. Verse 27. What I tell you in darkness, speak in the light. And what you hear whispered in your ear, proclaim upon the housetops. Do not fear those who can kill the body but are unable to kill the soul. But remember him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a cent? And yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So do not fear. You are more valuable than many sparrows. A good soldier... 
first and foremost, fears no one. No matter the verbal abuse, you do not fear. And in this first part of the passage here, in verse 24 and 25, he's basically saying, you and I, our goal is to be like Jesus. And I want you to understand this. If your goal is to be like Jesus, expect to be mocked like Jesus. Jesus had recently cast out a demon, and the religious leaders attributed his work to the power of demons. Beelzebul, they called him. Another word for Satan or the prince of demons. If they portray Jesus as the enemy and evil, they will portray you as the enemy and as evil. You will be called names as well. Intolerant, bigot, fanatical, narrow-minded, religious nut, hater. I want you to understand something. The family members shouldn't expect to be treated any better than the head of the household. If you are going to be a follower of the Lord, you must expect them to treat you just like they treated the Lord. John 15, the Lord said, if the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would what? Well, the world would love you if you were of the world. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, because of this, the world, what? It hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. But then in verse 26, he says, do not fear them. Why? Because there's ultimate vindication. Nothing concealed that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be made known. Nothing is forgotten with God. Judgment and full disclosure awaits, is what he says. Romans 2.16, on that day, when according to my gospel, God will judge the secrets of men through Christ Jesus. In other words, listen, don't fear the present judgments of men. Live in light of the future judgment of God. Don't fear the present judgments of men. Live in light of the future judgment of God. Or don't fear what the world says now. Be concerned about what the Lord will say later. Don't be concerned. Don't fear what the world says now. Be concerned about what the world, the Lord, will say later. So don't fear any verbal abuse you take because you're a follower of Jesus. Also, don't fear. No matter the physical pain you may suffer. In verse 27, he he gives a challenge here. He says, what I tell you in darkness, speak in the light. And what you hear whispered in your ear, proclaim from the housetops. He says, I want you shouting out my message. That's what God says. What I've whispered to you in my word, shout it out for all the world to hear. This world needs to hear my word. Speak up. Speak up at work. Let them know what Jesus thinks. Speak up in your neighborhood. Let them know what God's word says. Speak up among your family members as you get together for Memorial Day weekend. Talk to them about the Lord. He's basically saying what you have been learning privately, proclaim it now publicly. I am not giving these messages just for you. I am giving them to you to be worked through you into the world in which you live. That's a good soldier. He says, don't fear because some of you are scared. You're scared to speak up at work. You're scared to speak up among your family members. You're afraid of your neighbors. God will address that. First he addresses it, don't fear those who can kill the body, but are unable to kill the soul. Rather fear him who can, is able to both destroy the soul and the body in hell. He says, why are you fearing mere men? 
all they can do is kill you. I want you to understand what God is saying. It's just a body. He says, this is a temporary tent housing your soul. You're going to die anyway, and your soul is going to be released to God. And by the way, I'm getting a new perfect resurrected body someday. How about you? He's saying it's just a body. Why are you so afraid of the people of this world? Mighty Fortress is our God by Martin Luther, one stanza. Let goods and kindred go, this mortal life also. The body they may what? They may kill, but God's truth abideth still. His kingdom is forever. You know what God is saying? They can't touch your soul. MC Hammer said, you can't touch this. Can't touch this, man. That's what he's saying. You, you can't touch my soul. You can do everything else to me. Take everything else away. My soul is God's. And it's going back to him. Second time, don't fear. Verse 26, do not fear them. Verse 28, do not fear those. Don't fear. Proverbs 29, 25, the fear of man brings a snare. He who trusts in the Lord will be exalted. Fear will trap you. Trust will free you. Fear will trap you, trust will free you. And sadly, so many of us, and many of you here, are trapped. You're so afraid of the people of this world. What are they going to say? What are they going to do? And you've been trapped. I got these feral cats in my yard, Ugh. living in my woodpile. And, and we set up a live trap, and we finally caught one of them, this cute little kitten. What'd you do? It took it to the river. No, I didn't. Just kidding. We finally caught that thing, and it was trapped in there. It can't get out. Some of you are like a trapped animal, and, and you're just in there. God is saying, trust will free you. Would you just start trusting me? God has not given us a spirit of timidity, 2 Timothy 1.7, but of power and love and discipline. Fear of God. Fear of God. Understand that, not the fear of man. Rather fear him who is able to destroy both the soul and the body in hell. He can destroy the body. He can, control, can destroy the, the soul. He sends people to hell. He has divine authority, not the people of this world. Stop fearing the people of this world. When we live in the fear of the one, we will fear no one. When we finally live in the fear of the one, we will fear no one. And we'll finally wise up in this life. Proverbs 1, 7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. We'll finally get smart when we start fearing God and not fearing people. No matter the verbal abuse, don't fear. No matter the physical pain, don't fear. No matter how lonely you feel, don't fear. Look at verse 29. Are not two sparrows sold for a cent, and yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father? The very hairs of your head are all numbered, so do not fear you're more valuable than many sparrows. God knows every single solitary sparrow. Every single one of them. He says two are sold for a cent. Single copper coin, smallest denomination of currency in Jesus' day. And you may say, well, why are they buying sparrows? Cheap finger food, sparrow McNuggets, that's what they were. I want you to understand the most insignificant little birds were accounted for by God. Verse 29. Yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. Now it's interesting. The Greek word for fall is sometimes rendered hop. I have a bird feeder, all kinds of birds, and all kinds of sparrows on the ground, and they just hop around. You know what he's saying here? Every sparrow's, every single hop is accounted for by God. He sees every hop 
every sparrow ever takes. Truly his eye is on the sparrow. Why should I feel discouraged? Why should the shadows come? Why should my heart feel lonely and long for heaven and home? When Jesus is my portion, a constant friend is he. Say it with me. His eye is on the sparrow, and I know he watches over me. His eye is on the sparrow, and I know he watches me. Your every single solitary hop or step is accounted by God. He never takes his eye off of you. And not only that, he counts every hair on your head. That's what it says here. The very hairs on your head are all what? They're numbered. You may say, well, who in their right mind is going to count somebody's every single head on their hair? Can you imagine this? Let's see. One, two, three. Can you imagine? And the number of hairs on your head, what does it do? It changes hourly, daily. All the time, hair is falling off your head. New hair is growing. You know what he's saying? I am so intimately acquainted with you that I know the numbers of hair on your head. He's saying even the most mundane things about your life, God is aware of and knows them better than you know them. That's how valuable you are. To God. That's how much he cares for you as his child. So verse 31, he says, so do not fear. You're more valuable than many sparrows. I care for every single detail of your life at every single moment, every hop you take, every hair on your head. You have no reason to fear. I'm watching over you every single second of every single A good soldier fears no one. A good soldier confesses unashamedly. Verse 32. Therefore, everyone who confesses me before men, I will also confess him before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny him before my Father who is in heaven. Confession begets confession. You confess me, I confess you. What does it mean to confess? It means to openly confess and unashamedly identify with Jesus Christ. To acknowledge him as your Lord and your Savior before people, before believers, before the spiritually curious, and before those who are antagonistic, hostile unbelievers at work, at school, in the neighborhood, in your family. To openly confess that you are a follower of Jesus Christ, unashamedly so. We saw that last Sunday night. We had about 28 people baptized. They came down into the baptismal waters, and their testimonies were clearly read. Testimony after testimony, confession after confession. One guy did something I've never seen done in 19 years of ministry. He came into the water with a GoPro camera on his chest, and he set up another one on the side of the baptistry, and then he posted it on YouTube for everybody to know he's a follower of Jesus Christ, unashamedly so. He put together this video of him being baptized. His name is Troy Busey. This is too cool. 
ignore the guy at the end. Buried in the likeness of his death, and what? Raised to walk in newness of life. Uh, Troy, I just saw you. Why don't you stand real fast? There's Troy. He put that together. He just saved about a year ago. Awesome. The Lord says, therefore, everyone, verse 32, who confesses me before men, I will also confess him before my Father in heaven. I want you to think about this. You know what it's like to hear your name called? Maybe you've put your name in at a restaurant. You've been waiting and waiting and waiting, and they call your name for your table. Some of you graduated this past week or just relatively soon. They call your name, and you stand, and you walk up to that platform, and you get your diploma. Graduated. Do you realize someday you will stand before the Father in heaven? And before the Father in heaven and the host of heaven, the Lord Jesus, the King of kings and Lord of lords, the resurrected Savior, will confess you as his own and will claim you as his child. There will be no day like this day when he confesses you before the Father because you have confessed him here on this earth. You've never experienced anything like that. Confession begets confession. But denial begets denial. Verse 33. Whoever denies me before men, I will also deny him before my Father who is in heaven. Yes, there are people who deny the Lord. You may say, well, how do people deny the Lord? Sometimes they deny him by silence. They fail to tell anybody that they're Christians. Nobody at work knows they're a Christian. Nobody in their family. Nobody in the neighborhood. Nobody at school. They have denied the Lord. Sometimes they deny the Lord by actions. They live so much like this world that no one could even ever tell that they were Christians. But they come in on a Sunday morning, holier than thou, with their big Bible, while they've sinned like the world all week long. Denying God, denying their Lord every single day. Some deny by silence. Some deny by action. Some deny by word outright renouncing Christ as foolishness, as religious, you know, full-heartedly and, and just stupidity. You say, well, what about Peter? He denied the Lord three times. Yes, but he couldn't live with his denial. And he repented in brokenness and humility and with tears. And he was fully restored. And, and maybe that's where some of you are today. Maybe you've been constantly denying God in your silence. And you've been denying God with the way that you've been living. And it's time to be broken before him. It's time to get alone with God and cry out to him. And confess your sin. And ask for forgiveness. And say, God, please restore me. I'm tired of denying you in my life. That's what Peter did. And maybe that's what you need to do. The Lord will deny those who deny him. The, the world is filled with those who profess Christ but not confess Christ. And there's a difference. There are always going to be tares among the wheat. There's always going to be goats among the sheep. 
There, there's always going to be bad soil among the good soil. The Lord's going to sort it all out in the end. Matthew seven twenty one. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter there. Many will say to me that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy? Didn't we teach Sunday school class? Didn't we preach? Didn't we, didn't we hold a Bible study in our home? And in your name cast out demons. Look at the works we did and the service we performed. And in your name performed many miracles. And then I will declare to them, say it with me, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. God knows the true from the false. And if you are tares among the wheat, you can be converted. If you're a goat among the sheep, you can be saved. Stop playing the religious game and fall on your face before God Almighty and ask him to save you. A good soldier fears no one, confesses unashamedly. A good soldier prepares for conflict. Verse 34, do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. I came to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and the man's enemies will be the members of his own household. What, what a challenge, and what a change to thinking has to take place, Jesus says, when you think about me. I didn't come to bring peace. But we, we think, well, wait, 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 wait. What did the angels proclaim at his birth in Luke 2? On earth, peace among men. And what about his name? What is he going to be called in Isaiah 9, 6? The Prince of Peace. And what about the psalmist prophesying abundance peace? And what about Jesus promising to his disciples, peace I live with you, leave with you in John 14, and my peace I give to you. Well, what does all this mean? I didn't come to bring peace, but, is he, yet, but yet he is peace. This kind of helps our understanding. John 16, 33. These things I've spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. In the world you have what? tribulation. But take courage, I've overcome the world. You can have peace that only God can bring in the midst of tribulation in this world. There's a personal peace that comes from God, a relational peace between a sinful man and a holy God, an inner peace of the soul knowing my sins are washed away. Oh, there is peace in that. There, the Colossians 1.20, through him to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross. There is a calming peace that we can enjoy in all circumstances, knowing God is in control. Colossians 3.15, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. 2 Thessalonians 3.16, now may the Lord of peace himself continually grant you peace in every circumstance. And there is a coming peace in the kingdom of God when he returns. But in the world, you will have tribulation. But take courage, I've overcome the world. We don't like tribulation. We, we, we want peace, and we want prosperity, and we want comfort, and we want security. We want to live the American dream and get along with everybody. And you know what we've done? We've bought into the lies of American Christianity instead of Jesus' Christianity. We don't want conflict, and we want ease, and we want comfort, and we want prosperity. And that is the American version of Christianity. And we need to get back to what Jesus said, that there will be conflict, that there will be tribulation. 
And you need to stop buying into the American Christianity and start getting back to what Jesus said and taking it to heart and living for the Lord. So he says, prepare for conflict. Soldiers train. They train primarily for one thing, battle. Swords divide and swords separate and swords sever. And when you stand for Christ, it draws a line and people are not going to like you. Now, we don't need to be needlessly offensive in attitude or approach. Understand that. Let the stumbling block be the message, not the messenger. There's enough obnoxious Christians in this world doing a disservice to the cause of Christ. That's not what we're talking about. But take a stand for Christ. The message will be the stumbling block. Understand that. But the sword brings conflict, and it brings conflict into the tightest knit of organizations and organisms, the family. He says, man against father, daughter against mother, daughter-in-law against mother-in-law, man's enemies will be the members of his own household. He says, the cost of following Christ may include conflict with your family. And, And some of you will do anything to avoid conflict. Then you're not ready to be a follower of Jesus Christ. You're ready to walk away from Jesus. If you're not ready for conflict, you are not ready to be a follower of Jesus Christ because he calls his followers to conflict. Understand that very clearly. Until you're ready to accept any and all conflict that might come, you are not ready to be a follower of Jesus. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. I'd been recently saved. My dad was not happy with me coming to faith at all. My mom mocked me, told me it was a fad, and I'll get over it. My grandmother told me I was wasting my life becoming a pastor. The hardest time was when I would come back from college, and I'd be home for the summer. And I would go up in my room all alone, and I would cry my eyes out on my bed because nobody in my family loved me. Nobody cared for me. And all they did was mock my spirituality and my desire to live for God. I cried out to God, God, give me strength. And I'd witness to him, and I'd talk to him in love, and they just didn't want to hear it. I want you to understand, I I lived this part out, and it's not easy. It's not easy at all. A good soldier fears no one, confesses unashamedly, prepares for conflict. A good soldier is 100% committed. 100% committed. Jesus is your greatest love. Look at verse 37. We saw similar verses a few weeks ago. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. He who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. He who does not take up his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. Jesus says, you need to love me more than you love your parents. He says to parents, you need to love me more than you love your children. You may say, no problem, I can do that. Well, then you need to put grandchildren in there too. Because that's what it means to. To love Jesus more than you love your grandchildren. To love Jesus more than you love yourself. He who does not take up his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. And again, the cross is not the toothache you're putting up with or the terminal illness or the rebellious child or some overbearing boss or some natural disaster disaster or loss of job or possessions. That's not your cross. 
The cross is any and all shame or pain experienced for being a follower of Jesus Christ. That is the cross he's talking about. And he says, follow me. That means self-denial. That means self-sacrifice. I love what C.S. Lewis said in Mere Christianity. Christ says, give me all. I don't want so much of your time and so much of your money and so much of your work. I want you. I have not come to torment your natural self, but to kill it. How's that? No half measures are any good. I don't want to cut off a branch here and there. I, I, don't, I want to have the whole tree down. I don't want to drill the tooth or crown it or stop it. I want to have it out. Hand over the whole natural self, all the desires which you think innocent as well as the ones you think wicked, the whole outfit. I will give you a new self instead. In fact, I will give you myself. My own will shall become yours. Give them everything. That's what it means to follow Jesus. And he says, unless you're willing to do that, you're not worthy of me. You're not worthy of me. Third time, you're not worthy of me. You're not ready to be a follower unless we love him first. You're not ready to be a follower unless you love him first. You're not ready to be a disciple until you love him most. That's what he's talking about. You're not ready to follow Jesus unless you love him first, and you're not ready to follow Jesus until you love him most. And when you can do that, then you're ready to be a soldier. Then you're ready to be a true follower of Jesus Christ, and not just a professor, but a confessor of the cross of Jesus Christ. A good soldier fears no one, confesses unashamedly, prepares for conflict, is 100% committed, and a good soldier lays down his life. That's what a good soldier does. Verse 39, he was found his life will lose it, he was lost his life for my sake, will find it. There's only two options. You spare your life for yourself or you sacrifice your life for the Lord. Which is it going to be? Spare your life for yourself and live for the things of this temporal world? Or sacrifice your life for the Lord Jesus Christ and live for the things of eternity. He says you only have two options, selfishness or sacrifice. Jim Elliott knew the difference, one of those five martyred missionaries in Ecuador. Read this quote with me. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. I got to tell you, I found my life the moment I lost it for Jesus. I found my life the moment I lost it for Jesus. And there's no turning back. No turning back. A good soldier fears no one, confesses unashamedly, prepares for conflict, is 100% committed and lays down his life. So the question remains, am I a soldier of the cross? And Isaac Watts put it well. Let's say it together. Am I a soldier of the cross, a follower of the Lamb? And shall I fear to own his cause or blush to speak his name? Must I be carried to the skies on flowery beds of ease while others fought to win the prize and sailed through bloody seas? Are there no foes for me to face? Must I not stem the flood? Is this vile world a friend to grace to help me unto God? Sure, I must fight if I would reign. Increase my courage, Lord. I'll bear the toil, endure the pain, supported by thy word. 
Thy saints in all this glorious war shall conquer though they die. They shall, they see the triumph from afar by faith's discerning eye. When that illustrious day shall rise and all thy armies shine in robes of victory through the skies, the glory shall be thine. Let's pray. Father in heaven, call us to truly be soldiers of yours, prepared to follow you to death if need be. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. You who claim to be followers of Jesus, talk to him right now. Confess any fear. Repent of any sin. Ask God to reveal where you have been denying him instead of standing for him. Recommit to be a soldier of the cross. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. For some of you here, it's time to find your life by losing it in God. You may say, that's me, Scott. I I need God in my life. I want to find my life. I want to lose it in the Lord. What do I do? In the quietness of your heart, I just want you to call out to God in faith right now. Ask him to save you. Ask him to make you his own. Just use words like this. Lord Jesus, I need you in my life. I'm ready to follow you. Please forgive me of all my sin. Please save me from all my sin. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. I place my faith in you to save me. I can't save myself. Forgive me and save me, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. If you've called out to the Lord this morning, we would love to talk to you about that decision for Christ. And let a good Christian friend or family member know that you've made a decision. If you open up your Bible or your uh, bulletin, everybody just open up your bulletin right now. When you open up your bulletin, there's a little perforated tear-off section. You can write your name on there.